This podcast is brought to you by the Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University. The Scripps College takes great pride in its diversity. For more information, go to ohio.edu slash Scripps College. Welcome to Spectrum. Spectrum features conversations with an eclectic group of people. Some are famous and some aren't, but the common thread is that they all have captivating stories. Today we're talking with Gregory Cordy, Washington correspondent for USA Today. Greg's an award-winning reporter who's covered both the Trump and the Obama administrations. In 2017, he won the Gerald R. Ford Foundation Prize for Distinguished Reporting on the Presidency. Today, we talk about what the Trump presidency is like from a reporter's perspective inside the White House. You and I have talked before, and we've communicated back and forth uh, between times covering this White House it seems from an outsider's point of view, has become a bigger and bigger challenge as opposed to becoming more routine. Would that be accurate? Um, it has uh, – I will say this. The, the pace of the – just the frenetic pace of news coming out of this White House uh, has not let up. And uh, personally, I had a feeling that – Last year, as the the administration began, there was a you know a hectic first weekend and then a really big first week, and he signed twenty executive orders in his first ten days, uh, and um, then I thought, well, the first hundred days after the first hundred days, you know, that's the traditional yardstick that we've <laughs> that's used. Right. That's the finish line. That that's you know since Franklin Delano Roosevelt, that's right. the traditional period in which a new president gets his legislative agenda through Congress. Um, and then it didn't let up after that. And then we got into the August recess, uh, which is usually a lull in Washington. But uh, President Trump decided to have a working vacation in Bedminster um, and was as busy as ever uh, while he flew between uh, Washington and Bedminster and Camp David and back again. Um, so the, every time I think that uh, things will sort of slow down, uh, you, you know, President Trump, I, I think uh, – Nature abhors a vacuum, and if he senses that there is a log in the news cycle, he will fill it somehow, either through Twitter or through uh, some other means. Um, and he's the president of the United States, so his his words matter. Uh, whatever statement he makes matters, and he can make a statement. Uh, he can make news at any hour of the day or night. Uh, beginning a, at six thirty a.m. Uh, in the morning, any time until he goes to bed at night. I'm disgusted with myself. It's the first thing I look at in the morning is his Twitter feed. You know, I, I'm sometimes not even out of bed yet, and I'm looking at the Twitter feed to see what I've missed. I, I keep telling people, and people think I'm joking, but I'm actually serious about this. I am building. I, I've got a little. Um, a Raspberry Pi computer, and I'm going to build a uh, uh, Trump alarm clock that will <laughs> wake me up in the morning when he starts to tweet. Um, and I'm still working on it. There's a little bit of coding, a little bit of computer, and, and, but it's it, the, the one feature that that I'm really excited about is the fake snooze button. <laughs> um, in case he he tweets something that he said before, and I'm not interested in, I can wait until his next tweet. But 
it's yeah, it, it, it's exhausting. And and what it means is that for a lot of news organizations, uh, the the White House beat has become shift work. It, it, you know, we at USA Today we have a, a three person White House team. And we have somebody who comes in at five or six o'clock in the morning. Uh, we have somebody who stays, you know, later in the evening. And we have people who uh, have to, to to watch things uh, all weekend long and on holidays uh, because the predictability that we had in the Obama White House, uh, the the no drama Obama, the 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 rhythms of the White House uh, don't exist anymore. Um, it's it's a lot more chaotic. And I think, you know, frankly, that that's not. I don't mean that as a disparagement. I mean it as a statement of fact, and I think you know uh, President Trump likes it that way. I think he likes the um, to, to keep uh, us on our toes as the press, certainly, but also his staff. Uh, the, the sort of unpredictability, um, not knowing what he's going to do. Well, he is most assuredly the first social media pre- president Absolutely. who has decided that I can't, I don't need you, media people. I can go directly to. My constituency and and but also I can dictate the news cycle and and the news stories and I can toss out diversions and I can toss out rabbits that people will will chase and uh, if they're busy over here they might not watch me so closely over here. How do you as a reporter deal with that? Because that this is the first president that's done that. Well, the the fact is that very often when he is uh, throwing out a distraction, he's actually distracting from his own message. And uh, so we at USA Today put together uh, at the end of last year, we decided to go back and, and look at the entire chronology of the first year. And we separated it into two columns. One was what the institutional White House was doing, what what the uh, the message was supposed to be, what the talking points were. Uh, what he was supposed to be doing. And the other column was what Trump was actually saying. And what you find uh, very often in the Trump presidency is that the the institutional presidency and the personal presidency are at odds with each other. So last summer we had Infrastructure Week uh, in which President Trump uh, on the morning of the Monday of the beginning of Infrastructure Week started tweeting about things like um, – you know, he, he undermined his own Department of Justice's uh, position in the travel ban case, right. saying that the new travel – they should never have – he should never have signed the new travel ban executive order and that the Justice Department should have defended the old executive order. The first one was good enough and they should have taken it all the way. Uh, absolutely. It, and, and you know, he will pick Twitter fights. Uh, you know, it's become a running joke of infrastructure. We, every week is infrastructure week. <laughs> it's like a Groundhog Day because uh, every time they try to do infrastructure week, it gets derailed. N- again, not by outside factors, but the president himself is off message. He's threatened to veto bills that he then signs two hours later. Um, he He's done that a number of times where he's taken a position – on legislation, uh, the the Patriot Act renewal w- was another example where he uh, took a position ostensibly against that bill, and then the White House had to scramble, say, no, 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 he will sign it if you send it to his desk. Um, so, it, it, yeah, the, 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 so I'm not look, I'm not worried about the the distraction. We the the press is going to tell the stories that we feel are important. We're also going to have to f- tell the stories. 
uh, about what the president is saying at any given day. And uh, that's part of our job, and we have to be able to walk and chew gum at the same time. What I do worry about is that Trump is such an all-encompassing, all-consuming story in uh, America in 2017, 2018. And if the typical news consumer only has a, a finite attention span, let's face it, look, I, I sympathize with the, the average American news consumer. I, I, I hope that I write <laughs> for that person. And they got kids, they got a job, they got stuff going on in their lives. And, uh, you know, th- there was a, uh, uh, the Shorenstein Center at Harvard University did an analysis of all of the news coverage across the country and Trump's. Uh, first 100 days, and 43% of it was about Trump. The president is a very important person. The presidency is a very important institution, and he was a new president, and any new president, I think, would would see that bump. But I'm saying this as a White House reporter. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know that that having 43% of our collective news attention span devoted to one person is necessarily healthy. There are uh, all sorts of state and local issues that people need to be paying attention to, depending on where they live. Global issues. We have a. Uh, uh, we have th- now. The, the good news is, I do think that there were some stories last year that managed to to break through that um, the, the, the the noise of of the Trump story. We had the Me Too story. We had uh, we have you know a global refugee crisis that uh, is is still getting covered. Uh, we have Syria still gets covered. Syria is covered now, but but the, the the irony there is that you know every all of those stories end up being Trump stories, um, and so here we we as we speak here we have a president deciding whether or not to uh, attack Syria, um, and so it becomes about Trump whether it started to be about Trump or not. Uh, Phil Elliott, one of our other alums, and I'm sure you know him, and he's now with Time. Uh, uh, he was on MSNBC's Brian Williams' Eleventh uh, Hour one night, and he was using the analogy that with the reboot of his uh, administrative staff and cabinet, that uh, President Trump was getting ready to start his second season using the <laughs> reality TV show uh, uh, analogy. Do you? Uh, and this is a serious question. Do you sometimes feel like you're dealing with something similar to a reality TV show as opposed to covering the president of the United States? Uh, that is the analogy that's been made, and he is a reality television um, president. It, it's a it's a natural uh, conclusion to draw. Uh, and so I'm not I'm not going to poo-poo that analysis. Uh, I, I actually think it's it's actually pretty spot on. What I will say is that. Um, I, I can't afford to – I don't think the American people can afford to uh, look at the presidency as just simply entertainment. Um, and so there's – I don't want to go too far with that analogy. Sure. I think w- what the president says matters. Uh, and I have to presume that he means what he says. Uh, and I'm th- – this isn't – yeah, this isn't a reality show cliffhanger for me. This isn't a, a, a second season reboot. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is this is important stuff, and I think it, it deserves to be covered um, importantly. So, what again? While, while I, I I don't disparage that analysis, um, uh, it's more it's this is much more important than a television show. 
Have you noticed a difference in how you've had to cover the president since he's lost some of his key staff, the Hope Hicks and, and others that have been close to him, that at least it's been reported kept him in check sometimes? I mean, watching him uh, respond to the search warrant at Michael Cohen's office for eight minutes of unhinged ranting was truly frightening to me and and many others. Uh, are you covering him differently? Do you see a difference in his presidency, or is it too soon to tell? Um, I th- Look, I, I guess I'll start out by saying the president is the president. And in any presidency, there's often discussion. You remember uh, George W. Bush. Sure. Uh, the line on George W. Bush was he wasn't really the president. Dick Cheney was the president. No, you know, President Bush was the president. Um, you know, Ronald Reagan wasn't really the president. You know, we had this troika of of advisors who was who sort of instituted the, the presidency. Um, and it's true that Reagan liked to delegate, but at the end of the day, he was the president. Donald Trump is the president of the United States, and there's a lot of coverage uh, in Washington of the the parlor intrigue. Uh, the the you know the the uh, reality show aspect of it mm-hmm. of voting somebody off the island at the end of every week. Right. Um, but again, I think that the president's the president. What he says matters. Uh, and so, uh, and and if you talk to to the chief of staff John Kelly, uh, he will tell you uh, that it is not his job to manage the president of the United States. It's his job to manage the rest of the White House for the president of the United States. So he doesn't tell the president what to tweet, what to say. Um, the the entire West Wing exists to advise the president, but if the president doesn't want to take that advice, he is the one who is elected uh, to decide how to lead. Uh, I, you know, there are a lot of people, obviously, uh, frankly, a lot of Republicans who wish that President Trump would take the advice of his staff more often. Um, but what we've learned about President Trump is that he is has a very visceral leadership style. Uh, whereas President Obama was very calm and cool and collected and cerebral, analytical, saw issues from 30,000 feet. Internal. Very, very internal, to the point where the, the criticism of Obama was that at times he could be aloof um, and, uh, and, and wasn't emotional enough sometimes that when uh, you know, U.S. citizens were being beheaded by ISIS, he should get more angry. Or had to be the smartest person in the room. I've heard that analysis that, as well. That too. So in reaction now, we have a president of the United States who uh, governs from his gut, uh, governs uh, from his instincts, is distrustful of analysis and briefing books and what the experts say because he trusts his own opinion and his own instincts uh, more than that. Uh, and so that's what you see a lot of times is that here's the president um, – uh, not always looking before he leaps, and then looking back and saying, you know what, that was the right thing to do. Uh, I didn't know what I was doing at the time. Uh, th- we had this uh, uh, incident oh, maybe three weeks ago where he admitted to an audience in, in Missouri that uh, he had made up a statistic on the phone call with, with, with the Prime Minister of, of Canada, Justin Trudeau, that he had completely made up a, a fact about trade and then retrospectively justified his made-up fact as being correct. Um, 
And I, I offer that anecdote only to say that this is a president who believes his gut is right even when he doesn't <laughs> even when he's flying by the seat of his pants. Um, that's just his leadership style. That's who the president. That's who the people of the United States elected. We knew that about him, didn't we? I think we knew about his propensity for that. I don't think we understood the enormity of it and and the persistence of it. And and one of the things that President Obama said uh, after the election uh, in that lame duck period before President Trump was inaugurated is that the Oval Office has a way of you know, sobering people up. The people uh, feel the weight of the presidency once they walk into that office and they become, if not transformed, because you're the same person you always were, you, you feel a sense of responsibility. Right. Um, and I, I think it's fair to say that that if if people expected President Trump to become a different person as a president than he was as a candidate, they probably disappointed. He is exactly who and, and, and to his supporters, that is his biggest virtue is that he didn't end up getting elected and being another typical politician who said one thing and then did another. Uh, the one thing you can say about Donald Trump is that he is slowly one by one delivering on almost all of his promises that he made on the campaign trail, even the ones that the experts, <laughs> a lot of pundits, you and me might have said, there's no way he can keep that promise. There, we, we, we said there was no way that he could actually start a trade war with China. Uh, there was no way that he could you know, threaten to pull out of NATO. Um, no, he hasn't pulled out of NATO. Or threatened nuclear war with North or, Korea. Or North Korea. But, he, but he, you know, he, he continues to do these things and um, they are fulfillments of campaign promises. You, you've said a couple of times that what – President Trump say, says matters, what he says matters, uh, and because he's president. And that's, uh, I think, the, the norm. But let's talk a little bit about uh, Kellyanne Conway's, uh, I think, foreshadowing of this presidency when she started talking about alternative facts. Facts mean nothing to this president it seems, and certainly uh, lying and, and, and other things uh, related to misstatement of facts seem to go along with his presidency. So if what he says matters, how can we trust what he says? Um, you know, he, somebody asked him uh, on the uh, Asia trip uh, a few months ago um, whether he believes – President Putin, when Putin says that Russia did not interfere in the 2016 election, and and Trump had a, a, a somewhat nuanced answer in that he said, "Well, I believe that Putin believes what he says. He means what he says." Um, the 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 thing with Trump is when when he exaggerates, when he um, uh, hyperbolizes, when he gives misstatements of facts when he lies, if you will. Um, it's not entirely c clear to me whether he knows what the truth is. Again, this, this is a, a guy, and I, I think he, um, he he's somebody who, again, uh, governs from his gut. His, 
he, you know, um, there is an intellectual truth. And then there is, to somebody like Trump, I think there is a deeper uh, truth that, that he believes, not in his head, but in his gut. The way it should be, perhaps. Uh, well, it, look, I mean, um, he... It, Again, look at look at his his base, uh, and uh, look. I'm, I don't want to be look. I, as you know, I'm an Ohioan. Sure. Um, I come from this part of the country. Uh, I th- I don't say this. Uh, you know, th- this is I don't necessarily see the 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 red state blue state state divide a lot of the way a lot of people do. But there is in Trump's base a suspicion of intellectual elites who have. Um, run up huge federal budget deficits, run up huge trade deficits, who have, in their mind, weakened the military, uh, who have uh, taxed small businesses uh, out of business, who have regulated small businesses out of business. And attacked the middle class and, uh, and, and the middle, lower middle class. We have, we have <laughs> wage stagnation uh, in, in uh, many parts of this country. No jobs. In- uh, no jobs in many of the parts of this country. Uh, we have kids going off to college who are then saddled with huge student loan debt. There is a frustration in middle America that uh, the the uh, leaders of this country who had all of those facts, the, the the Barack Obamas of this world, super smart, analytical people who had command of all of those facts and yet made the wrong decisions in their minds. And so uh, they uh, elected a president who may not have command of all of those facts and numbers and whatever, but is making, it the, it, in their view, the right decisions to put this country uh, back on track. I, I think you are right to have identified this um, this tension, this juxtaposition, uh, this, and I'm worried about it too. That uh, we, we can't go to an entirely fact-free uh, governing style where the, our our elected leaders don't look at data, don't <laughs> right. listen to facts, um, throw away intelligence. Uh, but but the counter argument is, and I'm I'm just trying to present it sure, a, as honestly absolutely. as I, I think I can, and in, in the best light as I can most charitable to, to President Trump and his supporters, is that uh, you also need a little bit of common sense. And that's what they thought was missing from uh, the, the Washington debate. Um, we need to reconcile those two. Uh, uh, because I, in my mind, you can't have common sense that is completely detached from reality and hard data. I'm a data guy. Um, we... You're entitled to your own opinion, but you're not entitled to your own facts, and that's right. what uh, in this, you know, search for alternative facts. Now we we need, I think, as a country, and I think we as journalists need to bring people around to a common set of facts that we can agree on the fact, and then we can disagree about the solution, the possible solutions. Uh, but first, we have to to be able to agree on the nature of the problem. We'll be back after this message. The Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University is comprised of five schools, each offering a variety of majors and programs for students who want to pursue communication-related careers. From the highly technical information and telecommunication systems to the theoretical communication studies and everything in between, 
programs in the college offer students both the fundamentals of communication practice and the tenacity and skills to further advance the field. In addition, the college is home to four centers and institutes that enable students to gain hands-on experience and learn new skills. You can learn more at ohio.edu slash Scripps College. This president who charts his own path and goes his own way seems antithetical to the way Congress responds, if they respond, <laughs> most, most of the time. They seem to be at odds regardless of, of party. Is that just style or is it substance? I think uh, any president uh, in Congress, uh, I think people expect when we have unified government as we do now, we have uh, one party, political party, controlling really for most intents and purposes all three branches of government, right? We've got a Republican president. We've got a Republican House of Representatives. We've got a majority Republican Senate, but not a filibuster-proof Republican Senate. 51-49. And we have a sort of workable uh, center-right coalition on the the Supreme Court. Um, But the way our system is designed, that still doesn't necessarily lead to uh, efficient decision-making. And and this is a problem not just with with, uh, Trump but but other presidents. Uh, There's a, a lot of criticism lately even, of President Obama's inability to get more done in the two years that he had a democratic control of Congress. He yeah, didn't early. get immigration done. Right. He didn't get gun control done. Uh, and a lot of the things that now uh, Democrats and, and liberals would like to uh, to to get done, um, the Republicans say, you had your chance. Why didn't you do it then? And said you decided to do the Affordable Care Act and Obamacare, and, and look how that turned out. Um, so it, it, Congress has, you know, what political scientists call a, a collective action problem. Uh, that it's, the, the, in layman's terms, it's like herding cats. <laughs> and even when or Repu- reporters, <laughs> and, and even when uh, Republicans have control of the, say, you know, the the House of Representatives, there are caucuses and coalitions within the Republican Party. You have, um, you know, a, a Tea Party, uh, a, a Freedom Caucus, uh, and then you have more mainstream Republicans of. The, it's uh, if if there if there's a bill that the the president's going to sign, they want it to be um, the perfect bill. But then they have to get it through the Senate, and the Senate you have to make compromises to get uh, around that sixty vote uh, threshold. So I look, I, I'm maybe I'm in the minority. I don't. A lot of people look to the president to be a legislative president. Um, at the end of the day, the president has only so many tools in his toolbox to, to get um, Congress to move. And it's been a frustration of presidents since the beginning of the republic that they can't get Congress to move fast enough on their agenda. The president has said recently, he said repeatedly, but he, he um, has reiterated recently, even today in, in a tweet, um, but for the Russia investigation, I would have accomplished so much more. You see what I've already accomplished on my agenda? Well, I would have accomplished so much more. It's holding me back. Now, I know that appeals to emotion of the base, but 
I'm trying to be neutral here. Is there any accuracy to that? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, there are uh, you know, the, the Trump presidency uh, is more complicated in a lot of ways than uh, any presidency in history because uh, he's the first president I can think of uh, that hit, comes in the door. He was uh, he was inaugurated on January twentieth last year with an active FBI investigation, right. in, if not into him, into his uh, campaign, into and into his transition team. He's also uh, the first billionaire president uh, that has vast business interests uh, uh, around the world that that could present conflicts of interest. Uh, and then he's the most unconventional president uh, that we've had, at, at least in, in the modern era. Um, so I, I don't think you can take one variable, the Mueller investigation, and say that's why he, uh, he, he can't get anything done. Uh, as, as I've said, he himself does not have the message discipline a lot of times to uh, continue to prod Congress to, uh, to pass legislation. Um, so that's a, that's an interesting counterfactual question, and I don't know. We don't live in that alternative universe, and it's hard for me to know uh, to what. It, but my my sense is it shouldn't ha- one shouldn't have anything to do with the other. Uh, the The White House has hundreds of staffers, uh, each with their own assigned lanes, and he has a legislative shop that it, whose job it is is to work with Congress and get legislation passed, and he has lawyers in the in the council's office whose job it is to protect the interests of the president and the presidency in this uh, Mueller investigation, um, they should have the bandwidth to, to be able to, to do both. I've heard some political scientists, and I know you studied political science uh, back when, uh, compare Donald Trump in many ways to Teddy Roosevelt. Do, do you see any comparisons? Um, I, that's, uh, I do. Um, uh, I I'm reading a, uh, a biography at the moment of William Howard Taft, great An Ohio, Ohio, Ohio <laughs> president, um, but who who was uh, in both an ally and an adversary of Teddy Roosevelt um, in in his time, but stylistically very very different presidency. And uh, Taft had a very sort of narrow ministerial constitutional view of the presidency that the president's uh, powers were enumerated by the Constitution and he had those powers and no other. Um, Teddy Roosevelt was one of the first sort of modern presidents in that he uh, took the opposite view that the president can do anything that the Constitution doesn't expressly forbid him from doing. And it's the responsibility of the president as the one leader elected by all of the country to lead and to do whatever, use whatever tools are in his toolbox to advance an agenda. Um, I think that is a, uh, that has become the dominant view of modern presidents. Uh, Certainly President Obama had that view. And now President Trump has that view. But what's interesting about President Trump is that President Trump is almost singularly focused. If you ask me to distill what his agenda is, what what, what the single... Um, defining ideal of his presidency has been so far, it's essentially to undo everything President Obama did. <laughs> um, 
to to, to roll back. Yeah, uh, not just about you know when Trump talks about this, he will t- also talk about it. President Bush did some things that I would also like to undo. But healthcare, the, the, the war, EPA, the, uh, all of the things, the executive orders. Nixon created. It was a Republican president, Nixon, who created yeah. the Environmental Protection Agency. Uh, so it's not entirely a, a partisan thing. Um, so in. It, and so it, it, Trump may have a much l- more limited view of the role of the federal government, but a, an expansive view of the powers of the presidency to accomplish that. And that's what I think he has in in similarity with, with Teddy Roosevelt. You've uh, studied presidents and, and been around the White House for, for a while. Uh, you see President Trump uh, at least playing with the idea of not having a chief of staff, not having a communications director. Um, uh, is that approach viable? Is that something that he's honestly looking at or are those just uh, uh, news stories on a slow day? It's hard for me to say whether those are things he's, he's honestly uh, considered. You'll read these stories and um, – you think that can't possibly be true, and then eight weeks later, it ends up being true. <laughs> um, and then the, look, it, but everybody also forgets the stories that you think can't possibly ever be true, and then you never hear about them again. So it's just as plausible one way or the other. Um, th- th- there is what I like to call the institutional White House. People think of, of the presidency as changing over completely from from one president to another, but. There's actually a lot of career staff in the executive office of the presidency, and there are certain institutions that remain, um, that that stay on, and that there's some continuity. And uh, there's a way of doing things that previous presidents have have done that they have found work pretty well. So there tends to be some incremental changes over time, but there's a, a, a group of political scientists and uh, former administration staff or uh, presidential staffers called the White House Transition Project. And they come in during every transition and they give a, a, a blueprint to the incoming president saying, this is why you need a chief of staff. This is why you need a staff secretary. These are their roles. You might think that you have a better idea of how to run things, but past presidents have learned that this really is this works. What, what works. Having said that, he is the pre- again he is He's the president, president of the United States, and he ultimately has to find a management style and a management structure that works for him and that that plays to his strengths and compensates to his weaknesses. Greg, it's always a pleasure. Thank you so much. Absolutely, always happy to to, to come anytime in Athens. And welcome back to Ohio. Thank you. Today, we've been talking with award-winning White House journalist Gregory Cordy from USA Today. He's given us his view of the Trump presidency from a reporter's perspective. Spectrum is produced by WOUB Public Media. Adam Rich is our co-producer. I'm your host, Tom Hudson. Please subscribe to Spectrum at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or at NPR One. Spectrum's also available at the NPR Podcast Directory. We welcome your feedback and your comments, so please rate our podcast or review it through one of your podcast outlets. If you have questions or comments about any of our podcasts, please direct them to me at hodson at ohio.edu. That's Hodson, H-O-D-S-O-N, 
at ohio.edu.